Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Thanks for listening. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. If you appreciate what you hear every week on Q Ideas and would like to join with others in your community around such discussions, stay tuned to the end of the show. This week, however, we'd like to bring you another program from the archives of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Welcome to Q Ideas. I'm Gabe Lyons, and today we're talking about public faith. What does it mean for us as Christians to live out our faith in a pluralistic society? Now, I know for some of you, you're hearing the words pluralistic. Maybe you've thought of that word before. You've maybe heard it thrown around. You're not sure if that's a good word, a bad word. You're not quite sure what it means. Let's put it simply. What it means to live in a pluralistic society is that you and I live alongside neighbors of which they carry different beliefs. They live by different ideologies. They worship different gods. They care about different things. They might even operate off of different moral systems, different values. This is the American life. It's the life where we're living alongside neighbors who have different points of view. Now, for some of us growing up in American life, for many people, they thought, hey, this is a Christian society, not a pluralistic society. Well, the reality is the founders understood that this country was to be a place where people of all faiths or none at all could come and freely worship. Obviously, these first few hundred years, Christians seem to hold a bit of a corner on the market for religion in America. But we're finding now in recent years, you're starting to see more and more people speak up who just aren't Christians. They're either atheists, and we've seen that movement really rise quickly. There's young people who, 18 to 22-year-olds, a third of them don't subscribe to any religion. They say, I don't want to identify with faith at all. And so the reality is all of us are living in a new space where we're around people who just don't think like we do. And the challenge for the day is, how are we going to get along? What does it mean to get along in a space where you have to be friends with people maybe you totally disagree with? Or there's competing values sitting at the same table trying to decide the future of how our cities are going to operate, how our schools are going to operate, how we're going to treat public spaces, how we're going to treat people that we disagree with. Well, this is front and center in America right now, where politics has become the main headline every day of what group disagrees with what other group and how are we going to solve problems together and people feeling like the nation is so divided. And yet it's a place where Christians have this great opportunity to lead. And so today we're going to listen to a talk. It's an 18-minute talk. We're going to listen to the first half of it, and then I'm going to come back and just talk about that for a moment, and then we'll listen to the second half. But you're hearing from somebody who's done a great deal of work on this topic, somebody who's just a complete expert in not only understanding what it means to live in a pluralistic society, but what does it mean to practice our faith in that society. And that person we're going to hear from is Miroslav Volf. Now, he's one of the great public intellectuals. Many would say he's one of the great theologians of our time. He's the founding director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. He's written many books that really help deal with the current moment that we're in. He's written a book on Allah, a Christian response, his most recent book, A Public Faith, on how followers of Christ should serve the common good. 
And so he speaks from this perspective where in his real day-to-day life, he's operating with people who disagree with his point of view, that disagree with the perspective in which he sees faith in life. And yet he's learned how to do that in such a way that it doesn't disregard or overstep his own convictions, but allows him to appreciate the other. And so we're going to listen in on the first half of this conversation. And then I'm going to share a little bit of research with you that we've discovered through a research study we've been a part of to better understand how Americans are feeling about religion. And I want you to listen into that because it's going to give you insight into how your neighbors are thinking about you if you're a Christian. But first, let's listen to Public Faith in a Pluralistic Society by Miroslav Volf. I'm reminded that when I started Yale Center for Faith and Culture, one of my kind of guiding ideas for the center was to generate fresh ideas with legs. And I see many of you here engaged and interested in fresh ideas, but also ideas that make difference in the world, uh, way we live our lives and way we conduct our lives, not just as individuals, but also as communities, also as a nation, also as a one global world. A um, few years uh, back, I started teaching a course with uh, ex-Prime Minister Tony Blair entitled Faith and Globalization. It was motivated by the sense that faith traditions and globalization processes are among the two most important factors shaping the world today. Globalization processes, we're all familiar with them. Our world is getting increasingly interconnected, not just interconnected, intertwined, intermeshed, interdependent. In some ways, you can say that everything is always, can be always, everywhere, right? So incredibly uh, intermeshed as people we are. Uh, On the wings of globalization processes also was carried the ideal throughout the world of democracy. Democracy is one of those ideals together with human rights that kind of motivates imaginations of most people in the world today, even though we understand that in democracy, quite different things often. That's as much as globalization, I want to say. But on the faith side of of things, it's an old story by now that faiths are not going away. To the contrary, faiths are experiencing a resurgence. Faiths in the world, major faiths in the world, particularly Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, are growing and growing at a relatively fast pace. Uh, The world is becoming more and more religious place rather than less and less of a religious place. Consequence of that is, of course, that people of faith have also found themselves interested not just in faith as their private spirituality, but also faith that shapes the public life, uh, community life and public life of, of a nation. So, and partly that was influenced by the spread of the democratic ideal. So you've got people of different persuasions different views, overarching perspectives of of life, living in the same space and also wanting to shape that same space according to the account of life, good life, that they they seem to embrace and embrace vigorously. Um, I have described this kind of situation with with a phrase, living under the same roof. The world was diverse for a long time, right? (laughs) It's that we are now, as diverse people started becoming intermeshed. 
It used to be that you, you could sequester people of particular type in particular regions, particular uh, bound by nations, and then they could, relative ease with tall fences, live in peace with one another. Now, tall fences are gone. Fences are gone, period, which means we inhabit, we live within the boundaries that we have set up, nation states, we live, many of us, under the same roof. And that presents for us major challenges how to organize our public life and certainly presents major challenges how we as Christians should live in our public life. I think what we've seen also then is a a kind of resurgence of two phenomena. On the one hand, something like religious totalitarianism almost or authoritarianism, (laughs) the word, um, as distinct from, strictly speaking, totalitarianism, which wants to kind of dominate the public space, a single religion wanting to dominate the public space. Uh, On the opposite side of things, you have something like uh, secular exclusivism. Because various religions want to insert themselves into public space, often secularists themselves think it will create conflicts, and therefore the best account that we can have of how to live uh, peacefully in a, in a common world is to secularize. But neither of these projects will, will work. Kind of religious totalitarianism won't work because we live in a plural world. We live in a world of many religions, each one, one of which wants to have their say in the public realm, and secular exclusivism will not do uh, because we live in a world in, in a, of ascendant religions and religions that want to assert themselves in public realm. And so if we work with the idea of kind of single polity dominated by single ideology, uh, I think this is recipe for conflict. And I think what we need to do, and that's what I try to argue in the book of public faith, is we need a genuinely pluralistic political stance, and we need that genuinely pluralistic political stance informed by the deep convictions of our faith. We need to give up on the idea of anything like Christian Europe or Christian America or Muslim Egypt, and I can go down the line. We need to give up on the ideas of secular Europe (laughs) or secular America as well. We need to think in terms of pluralistic uh, space in which people from different backgrounds with different accounts of life, and that means for us Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, secularists, will have equal voice. And we need, I think, if it's going to work, we need religious, in our case, in my case, Christian foundation for something of of that sort. Now, the question is, is there a Christian foundation of a pluralistic account of public life? And I want to suggest to you that there definitely is, and indeed I want to argue that in the context of pluralism, this is the way that Christian faith nudges us, pushes us to go. Now, some people think that religions are by their very nature exclusive, and therefore their very exclusivism will prevent them from embracing pluralism as a political project. Um, There's some truth to that. Uh, Yet I'd want to argue uh, the very opposite. And first, let me just take you a little bit back into history. Where does pluralism as a political project have its origin? Well, there was this guy, right, in 16th century England, a very fervently religious guy whose name was Thomas Helvis. He was a Baptist. He had to flee persecution 
went to Amsterdam, and in Amsterdam came up with then revolutionary idea. Revolutionary idea that government shouldn't meddle into the affairs of religious people, and that all religious people, including also the religion of atheists, <laughs> all people with persuasions of different persuasions uh, about uh, account of, of life, will have exactly the same freedoms. And he did that just because of his strong Christian convictions and not despite of them. And what he didn't do is simply say, I'm a persecuted minority. Let me have freedom of religion for myself, but I won't worry for freedom of religion of others. Now, that's the story that you have of Mayflower, of John Winthrop, right? Where you escape the persecution, but then establish a state in which your form of religion is the dominant religion and sanctioned by the power of the state. And so you've got then, then back and forth between uh, John Winthrop and Roger Williams. But in both cases of Thomas Helvis and Roger Williams, you have deeply religious convictions leading these folks to embrace something that I would in retrospect call pluralism as a political project. Now, historically, that has been the case. I think there are also major Christian convictions that lead us in that direction. And here I want to build briefly on one of the most famous texts on toleration by one of the most famous political philosophers, which is John Locke. There's a text on toleration, and he gives there specifically Christian reasons why we should practice toleration. And his specifically Christian reasons go something like this. There is, there should be freedom in the way in which people come to faith. Faith concerns the deepest convictions of our lives that regulate all of how we, how we behave. And faith, therefore, ought to be embraced by heart, as the Apostle Paul says. And heart ought not to be ruled by anyone else but by God. By the way, that was also Thomas Helwig's uh, conviction. The king is for the body, but for the soul. That's the provenance of God. And therefore, in your soul, decisions of your soul has to be, have to be free before God. So I hate to interrupt this talk because I know you're, you're interested in it. You're getting this great history lesson and understanding kind of where we've come from. And as we move into the back half of this talk, you're going to start to see how this plays out. But one of the important things I just want to reflect on is the fact that the establishment of America and the founding fathers, the idea was this wasn't just about coming here and creating a Christian nation. It was to create a place where we all fought for the right of others. It wasn't just to protect our own rights, but it was to allow people to truly experience freedom, to never be coerced by a government, to live apart from our convictions, or to ever have to cross a line of our own convictions. And it's really interesting, uh, in a Q Ideas research study that we recently released called Leading in a Pluralistic Society, one of the things I've been amazed by is understanding how much Americans are feeling this sense of being divided. 95% of Americans agree on something, and it's really interesting. Here's what they agree on. They believe that people on different ideological perspectives, so people who just disagree about really substantive things, demonize one another so severely that it makes finding common ground impossible. So almost every American believes we're doing this to one another, 
They understand this isn't how it should be. And part of where we're going in this talk with Miroslav is to understand that this isn't how it was designed to be. We know that 75% of Americans are saying to us, we wish more moderate voices would be leading right now. People who aren't so shrill and aren't just backed into their tribal corners arguing with one another, but that would come out together and find ways to get along despite these differences. You've been listening to Q Ideas. I'm Gabe Lyons, the president of Q, and we're going to continue to listen to the conclusion of this Q talk delivered to a room full of Christian leaders. Freedom in coming to faith. And by the way, that's not a new idea from Christian perspective. It's a very much an old idea. Church fathers have advocated this, this idea, the freedom of us standing before God on our own, embracing uh, the faith. And second, Locke argued is the love should qualify the way in which faith is lived in the world. And if you love, consequence of love is that you would grant to another person what you want granted for yourself, right? And notice now you can simply deny the other person freedom of faith, right? Because he's already argued that freedom of faith is inherent to the character of faith. And the reason why Locke has argued that way is because he knew very well that there are folks who thought that you can coerce people to certain conformities on account of your charity. Because you love them, you'll coerce them, right? Famous Augustinian principle, right? Uh, but law combined the two, freedom in coming to faith and love in exercise of faith. And if you have these two convictions, I think you have a foundation for something like pluralistic account of public life. Now, the question then becomes, well, uh, is it possible for us? We have these convictions, but is it possible for us to actually live together? Doesn't common life under the same roof presume certain commonalities? And if you don't have those commonalities, how are you going to live uh, together, right? And often what's being brought against this idea is that, well, each of these groups, in our case Christians, are distinct groupings, right, with distinct convictions. So how is it that they can live together with those that are others? And that's Partly based on the idea, on, on the connect, conception of identity. Who are we as Christians? And then the response often is, Christians are those. Christian is something that is specific to us. We are Christian on account of our difference from other people. And that's exactly, I think, where the problem lies. To be a Christian means to be different than somebody else, right? Than other groups. But it doesn't mean simply and purely to be different. I am a Christian on account of specific Christian convictions, and I'm a Christian on account of many common convictions that I have with other folks. Um, this is the J, J. Crew uh, jacket. There's nothing unchristian or specifically Christian about the jacket one wears, right? One may ask whether one has spent enough, too much or too little money for, uh, to, to, to buy the, the jacket, right? But the jacket qua jacket is just Kind of almost generically, no, specifically cultural jacket that has irrespective to what we as Christians might or might not think. And the idea is basically rooted, you see it in the Gospel of John. Jesus Christ in in John 14 says, I am the truth. 
But it's the same Jesus who at the beginning, as the word says, that he is the one who enlightens everyone. So the specific Christian convictions are the convictions that also can be found through specific Christian convictions are not opposite to the conviction that can be found in many other parts of the world, other people who embrace other accounts of life. All truth is God's truth, and therefore we can and we do have overlapping convictions which can lead us to make it possible for us to lead a common life while not giving up on the specificities of our faith. So we have historical precedent. We have good basic convictions to tell us that we can embrace pluralism political project. We have a foundation for it in commonalities as well as the differences. What often stands in the way of embracing pluralism as a political project, I think is more the deep spirituality. It's what we do with our convictions and not what these authentic Christian convictions are. Let me tell you a story. Immediately after the war in former Yugoslavia, in Bosnia, I was visiting Sarajevo. I was part of the Building Bridges Seminar organized by the Archbishop of Canterbury, and it was on common, on justice and common life in Sarajevo, divided Sarajevo. And I had enough of dignitaries and papers and so forth and went to see my good Franciscan friend. Uh, we went up on the hill, had a great meal. Looking down, we see all these sea of new mosques that are being built. And he says to me, Miroslav, we have lost the fear of God. I said, what's fear of God have to do with it? He says, well, look at these mosques. Why do you think they're being built? Not because there's some strong Muslim piety there, but we are marking the territory. They're all signs of almost like a religious identity of occupation of particular space. And why do we do that? Because we fear each other. But we have lost the fear of God. I tell him, you know, you know that just 120 kilometers south in Mostar, there is a huge cross, a hundred foot cross erected on the, on the mountaintop from which Croatians, uh, Christians used to shell Bosnian Muslims. And now there is a lighted cross day and night. You can see it uh, kind of imposing and gov- ruling this whole, whole region. It says, you make my point. Christians and Muslims fear each other and use religion as a tool in their struggles with one another, but they do not, we do not fear God. One of the most fundamental things I think we can do is to retrieve properly understood fear of God, reverence for God, reverence for Jesus Christ, God of all people, and reverence for Jesus Christ who on the cross died so that all people can find space in the embrace of God and be free to embrace that very God. Thank you very much.
Well, I know this talk on public faith in a pluralistic society, you know, maybe wasn't the topic you were thinking you needed to hear today. It perhaps stretched you in ways to think about our history, to think about where we're going. In some ways, can feel a little irrelevant because we're talking about these higher platitudes, these principles of how we get along. But I can't urge you enough to actually think about what this means for you, for the relationships you're in, for the spaces you're trying to create that really honor and value the image of God and other people, even those and especially those who disagree with us. We know from Jesus that we're called to love our enemies. Well, in that time. He was speaking specifically about enemies, people who could actually threaten to take your life. How much easier should it be for us to get along and love those who we disagree with on some ideas? We need to appreciate the image of God in each person, but not demonize people so severely. I think in American life, we know people are getting tired of that. They're looking for new leadership, but they're not sure they can trust pastors to do it, and they certainly aren't going to trust political leaders to do it. So for those of you listening, what if you're the leader? What if you're the one in your community who can bring people together, who can have a vision for how we can respect one another and how we can defend the rights of those around us? I was recently in Oklahoma talking with a group of leaders specifically about a mosque that had been proposed in their community, and the debate came up about whether we should defend the rights of Muslims to build mosques in our community. And the answer is unequivocally yes. That's part of being in a pluralistic society. That in the same way. Christians want to have the right to build churches in spaces and to own property and to do with it as we'd like. Muslims have that same opportunity, and Mormons have that same opportunity, and those who are Hindu have that same opportunity. This is part of living in a pluralistic society. This is a special encore presentation of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Q is all about. Questions about staying curious, thinking well, and advancing good. And one way we do that is through the annual Q conference, which happened just a couple of weeks ago. But also in the fall, we take Q into communities throughout the United States and the world through the special one night Q Commons events. And this year, that's coming up on Thursday, October 25th. And while that is several months away, now would be a great time for your church or ministry to consider hosting a Q Commons event. Visit QIdeas.org. Click on Q Commons on the menu on the left side. By the way, there is a similar event on the same night for college students called Q Union. You can learn more about that as well. On behalf of Gabe Lyons, thank you for listening to Q Ideas this week. We'll see you next time. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.